Welcome to the Countdown Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. This time we're going to review Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 for you. My name is Wayne. <laughs> That's on a mouthful. <laughs> so get prepared for many mouthfuls as we review this one there with a different opening for you. My name is Paul. Straight to it then for this 2023 seventh entry into the Mission Impossible franchise. Once again, directed by Christopher McQuarrie and co-written by he and Eric Jenderson. Stars, of course... Hollywood A-lister, last possible studio star, movie star, Tom Cruise, as well as Hayley Atwell, Ving Rhames, Simon Pegg, Rebecca Ferg, Ferg Ferguson, Vanessa Kirby, S.I. Morales, Pom Clementif, and Henry Cizerny. It's 163 minutes long, the longest entry in the franchise by a good 15 minutes. The budget, Wayne, do you know what it was? Ah, oh, so this one had so much trouble with the COVID yeah. and the whatnot, right? Uh-huh. So I think I, I, I remember seeing like a doco about it where it started at something like 200 mm-hmm. and then shit got in the way and it's like probably closer to 260 or 300 now. Yeah. You, it, that's right. $291 million is the reported budget. Damn. Now this had a very strange release. It was slated to come out here mm. in Australia on the... 13th of July, and then suddenly, out of nowhere, it was showing screenings last week on the 8th of July on a Saturday. Yeah, it opened on a Saturday. Very, very strange. Never heard that happen before. I think the same thing happened in the States. It came out earlier in some markets and the like. So when I say the box office is $122.5 million, even though technically by what we thought it was only out one day, clearly that's not accurate. Mm-hmm. So it's taking in money. Will it be as big a hit as something like, ooh, Top Gun Maverick? I certainly hope so. You will. Let's I guess we'll find out whether or not this was all worth the wait, Wayne. What is? Hold on, hang on, let me get this right. Mission colon impossible hyphen dead reckoning part one about. You know, I call it MI goes AI. What? All right. <laughs> <laughs> if you couldn't tell, ladies and gentlemen, we saw this one apart yes, from each other. That's right. So I wasn't subjected to that during the screening. Thank you. <laughs> God. Okay, folks, for this one, Ethan Hunt and the IMF team, they got to track down some terrifying-ass new weapon that threatens all of humanity if it falls into the wrong hands. See, it's an AI. It ain't actually a cracker or some person or whatever. It's... What? No. It's a thing. The entity. Uh, so with the control of the future and the fate of the world and all that stuff escapes, it's, a, it's, it's at stake. It's a huge, like, deadly race around the globe. And Ethan Hunt has, like, basically... One particular guy from his past that seems to have some dealings with it. From his magical past. We've which never seen him before. Yeah. He's oddly Spanish. It's like a thing. So uh, but essentially this, well, I don't, I don't want to say anything more about it, but no, it's, it's exactly what an Mission Impossible is, but some big shit's about to happen. We will talk very generically about this film and then get into spoilers for this plot, which is probably, it's going to be hard to do because it's pretty straightforward in some senses, this plot, but it does take you all around the place. Yes. Like you said. Now, the critical consensus is very, very positive on this one, Wayne. I checked it out last night. Woo. So pretty confident it hasn't changed as I scroll to it. Now, yes, 96% of 339 critics' ratings are positive with an average score of 8 out of 10 on Rotten Tomatoes. On Metacritic, where it's always a bit harsher, it's get an assigned score of 81 out of 100 based on 63 critics, indicating universal acclaim. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. audiences polled by CinemaScore gave the film an A on the A plus to F scale when walking out of the cinema. Sure. Sure they did. Will we fall into line with those very, very positive scores? Let's find out, Wayne. What did you think, generically speaking, of Mission Colon Impossible Hyphen Dead Reckoning Part 1? I knew you'd have fun with that. <laughs> okay. So, first of all, this is a deceptively simple thriller, mm. if you think about it. Okay. It bounces the good, the bad, the in-between characters off each other for 163 minutes. I did not feel that it was anywhere near that long. 
I think it passed quite well for me. Okay. I yep. wouldn't say it felt like a 90-minute film, but it no. definitely didn't feel like no damn 163. I, this is a weird thing. I don't know if you got this or not, but for a movie that has so many sort of show uh, action set pieces in it, yeah. right? I got the impression as I walked out that this isn't still... I don't know how to say this, but it was oddly quiet. The film itself had long stretches of very dialogue-driven, and some in some cases no no music or sound at oh, all. Good old way in here then, yeah. Because the first act is so boring in this film. You think it's really bloated, and they say they the, the pre-credit sequence is twenty-seven minutes long. This movie twenty-seven damn minutes because it goes with the it starts with the yeah, yeah we have yeah, a submarine stuff, yeah. and then we we flash somewhere else and then there's an apparent death which is <laughs> sure and yeah you're right. And then finally, we get to the the credit sequence with the music we heard a bit of just there at the top of the episode. And then we get another half an hour or so till we get to a pretty amazing car chase. There's a lot of setup in this movie. There's a lot of people saying the same thing 14 different ways. Well... And that... (laughs) I have to say that bothered me. Okay, let me tell you this, right? I I made a rookie mistake, ladies and gentlemen, all right? You didn't piss before the film? No, that is a rookie mistake. I pissed twice. Um, (laughs) I went to get... Maltesers and a frozen Coke. Uh, but I did How's that it. a rookie mistake? That's a well, requirement. I, because I did it right before the, 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 you know, the, the last trailer. Yeah. It started. It was Oppenheimer. And I was like... That's a, long, that's a long trailer. Right. So I was, I got time and I run out. And I, you know, of course, there's some cunt in front of me in lines. And I wonder what I'm going to get. <laughs> I'm going to fucking kill you. Okay, it's my fault. I'll tell you what to get. A clue. Exactly. So anyway, by the time I got all my shit, ran back into the cinema, I had missed about, I would say, 12, no, maybe 30 seconds of the show. Oh, okay. Right? I thought you were going to say 12 minutes. And I'm like, holy no, 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 shit. No. That's a long time sitting there going, oh, do I want tip. this or do I want that? No, no, no. Even I was like, give me the fucking book. Anyway, um, but the, the, so as a result, I actually saw it twice, Paul. Wait, you missed 30 seconds ago. I'll go see this again. Yep. Wow. <laughs> now, I want, if you're new to the show, welcome. It's great to have you here. If you want to have take a guess which of us has a family which doesn't, <laughs> go for it. Well, I saw it for the first time with a friend, right? Yeah. And then the second time, it's just like, all me. And I realized that the first 30 seconds is actually important because it's telling you exactly what essentially the villain is, right? As, as it were. I would say it's more like the first 15 minutes, but okay, yes. Well, no, the, the, the thing that the voiceover that you're getting at the, the, right. the second it starts, right, is actually Oh, so saying, you actually missed the Hunt for Red October moment. Well, no, I, well, the, the first few seconds of it, yes. But that was cool. No, it was cool. We have said many times, if you're a regular listener show, it's great to have you back, but <laughs> we have said so often, it's so disconcertingly jarring and stupid when we set a film or have characters from another country yes. and they're speaking in English and they sound like Robin Hood in fuck Kevin Costner's <laughs> fucking doing it. <laughs> I didn't try and do Robin Hood that. I understand. My point is I understand. just that. So for them to do the Hunt for October moment where we've got the subtitles and then they gradually blur into English and we fade the subtitles out. Right. I'm like, every film should do this. Exactly. Every. I mean, to be honest with you, I barely noticed it. Although I did say, hang on, why are they all just speaking with Russian accents in English? Yes. But of course they were doing the yeah. Hunt for October. So I, would, I'd buy, I was watching a film just the other night and set back in 17th century France and they're all talking like Americans. And I'm yeah. like, oh God, it just throws you straight out of it. Three Musketeer Syndrome. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so we. that's it, right? But the, it does actually tell you exactly what the, the, I guess, the premise of the bad... I won't say bad guy, but the bad thing is, okay? So that's, they're all wicked. But like I said, yes, there's a lot of dialogue-driven stuff. In fact, there is one scene in this, the nightclub scene I'm talking about, where it's it's a very long sequence of them discussing the spycraft of who gets this and what gets there and what gets there. And I was watching the scene again, watch, looking at it going, you know what Chris McQuarrie has done here? 
there's a million Dutch angles. There's a million like yeah. the blocking of people just turning up between two people as the camera just pans slightly. It's Which really all, well done. It's all De Palma. It's very De Palma. That's what De Palma did in the yes, first film. The cinematographer is trying to do yeah. Mission Impossible 1. This whole film, if you want to talk thematically, is tying back to the start. So this is the end of, of Mission Impossible. These are the, this will be the last one he makes. Well, do you know reckoning. what Tom said? Yeah, sure. We'll see. We'll but, see. So, like, it's that sort of perfect circle kind of, you know, we come back to the beginning. The Thematically, there's stuff happening in this film, which is alluding to a past we never knew Ethan Hunt had. That's right. And you got Henry Zerny coming back. Henry Zerny back as well uh, as Kittredge in, the, in, like, the second minute of the film. So that's not a spoiler. No. Or maybe the tenth minute of the film. But not really. point is that, yeah, this is so much hearkening back. This is, looks very different, this film, than Fallout did and Rogue Nation before it. This is his own beast. And I do love that. I like the Dutch angles. That does it for me. We, that's always been a thing I liked yeah, about yeah, yeah. Brian De Palma back before he De Palmered. Yep. But yeah, look, am I just take it then when if you saw it a second time, you can't hate it, this film. <laughs> I loved it. Yeah. I right. loved it, Paul. Although, although, although I will say this, it wasn't so obvious. Like At the end of uh, um, the last one, Fallout. Fallout, I fucking came in my pants. I was like, this was such a good movie. I didn't necessarily have that same intensity of feeling, maybe because I knew it was a part one and all that sort of yeah, shit. This film's not as good as Fallout. No, it's, not, it's, it's not as good as Fallout. It's not as good as Fallout, but it's fucking good, Paul. And I'll tell you why it's not as good as Fallout. Fallout is wowing you the whole way through that film. Yeah. Yeah, you know, there's the halo jump, and then mm. there's, you know, Henry Zerny cocking sorry, Henry, Zerny, Henry, Cavill. Uh, Henry Cavill cocking his fists and the fight in the toilet, and then you got your favourite Becca Ferguson absolutely steaming up the role. Absolutely. And they've got the incredible sequence in, in Paris. Is it Paris? When then we're showing the which they do a bit of in this film. The, the imagined version of how things will go if it goes wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that then we cool. see the real version thereof. And then, of course, the big, huge fight scene at the end. And, and in between, there's just... And then there's Alec Baldwin's moment and what happens mm. to him. And that's a real surprise. This, that film constantly knocks you off your feet, even yeah. though it's a spy thriller. This film, I don't think, knocks you off your feet at any point. But are you thinking, though, it's keeping its powder dry? Maybe, maybe. And yeah. maybe the second film will... I don't know what the fuck they're going to do in the second film. Retrospectively, make this film better. But I have some real complaints about this movie. No, no, good. And one is its pacing. Okay, I think the first act is is a drag. It's but nowhere near as good. Do you really? So you say you say that thirty almost minute before the actual yep. thing, like it cuts from the submarine to the desert, say, and that's a shootout movie. So there's action going on. Yeah, but that's that was really. I mean, it was like playing modern warfare, Call of Duty game. <laughs> <laughs> it's really, eh, whatever. Dude, it's and a then victim it, of its and we'll have to quality. Wait, we have to wait for spoilers yeah. to my real problem with that sequence. I know what problem with that sequence yeah. is. <laughs> I already know. <laughs> but. And then I think they did a certain character really dirty in this movie. Really dirty. And I don't understand why. I actually think I agree with you if I know if, if we're talking about the same person. Didn't like that at all. I Also, I really hated S.I. Morales as the... Say as the villain, he is. It's like he's a fucking computer himself. He has no emotion until the very final moment of him in the film. I will agree. One, I'm like, whoa! No, come I w- on. I agree with you. The show one, something. If you're going to pick a hole in this show, it's that the villain is one dimension only, oh, barely God. one, barely one, and it's it's a little bit paced, a lot pasted in, shall we say? Mm. And also, you don't know enough about him, nor are you given any exposition to him. For you to at least make a decision on him, you just know he's bad. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So Because that, Ethan Hunt said he's bad. That's right. Now again, it's a hundred and sixty three minute film. They probably didn't have time for exposition. Well, I think but they, I think they could have got rid of some of the exposition about the fucking entity and put it into him. Now, let me talk to you about that. The actual premise of what exactly the entity is and how it could be defeated is very 
complex or at least nebulous. Non- yes. Now we, we haven't word. committed to much. Oh, at the very end, we kind of say, here is what we need to do. Only then, and I'll tell you this, Paul. Well, let's face it, I'm not a clever man. I actually went <laughs> through it and I was like, oh, so that's what it is. Like, that now they know where yeah, they yeah. need to go. But I wasn't, it wasn't, that's why at the beginning when you don't quite know what the fucking Has there ever been a is. film which has spent so much time on explaining the MacGuffin 17 different times? But apparently it still wasn't enough for me, Paul. <laughs> well, no. <laughs> I, I, have I don't to think it's the film's problem. I think it might be my intellect's problem. But um, yeah, I, I'm sitting there going, because so many things are happening, in a, you know, it's, the plot is not complex, but the the, the MacGuffin is... The mechanics of it. Well, it's, like you said, nebulous. It's not as though it's like, this is the Ark of the Covenant that we're after, and you know what it looks like, and you know where you're going. This is like, this is some shit that's ethereal, you know? So that's why I believe they had to go overboard on the exposition. I don't know. All right. Well, let's, uh, there you go. Wayne loved it. I liked it. Liked I, it. I, I wanted to like it more, I have to be honest. I was a little disappointed. Sure, sure, sure. Is it bad? No. Should you see it? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Get out there. See it on the biggest screen possible for Oppenheimer. Takes all those big screens if you live in places that have IMAXs, unlike where we live. Mm-hmm. So it's a definite recommend from the Countdown Podcast. And if you haven't seen the film yet, we're going to leave you there. Come back, join us for the second half once you have. Kittredge, you've never seen me very upset. <laughs> all right. All so right. there's a throwback for you as well. All right, Wayne. What was your favourite parts of this film? And we can talk about spoilers now so you can be specific around the scenes and the set pieces. It's a good question, really. Um, what was my favourite part? I'd probably go with the car chase, actually. Car chase was phenomenal. Um, using a Fiat 500 right to, that jerks out right before like a That's Bugatti funny. or some shit. I was like, oh, that was There's cool. some funny moments this movie. No, Legitimately th- funny. Do you know what? I actually think the one, the thing that probably, because you're right, it's not as good a movie as, as Fallout. And that because it's on its own. This is like part one of two, fine. I get it, okay? But, the good thing I think that this feels like, this feels like a caper, this film. It doesn't necessarily, it's, it's like it's, it's taking you everywhere like they all do in this and that, but it's a little bit funny. Like it's a, there's a lot of gags. Yeah, particularly um, between, of course, Benji and Ving Rhames as Luther. Absolutely. Although they do gag about it a bit. I, I'll tell you this. I wasn't expecting to like Peggy Carter. I wasn't expecting to like Hayley Atwell. Um, she's, she's, look, I know you've got a Rebecca Ferg, Ferg thing. She's the character that did Dirty. We'll come back to that in a moment. We'll go to that. But, Hayley Atwell is beautiful. She's. I never thought so until really? I saw this film, She's and then I saw stunning. I saw an interview with her afterwards because she always seemed a bit mannish to me. I'll be honest with you. Okay, well, right? so, but like, really, I like the I like to like Jennifer Garner. She's got a strong chin. That's true. I understand completely. But I Selma saw Hayek, an, strong chin. Yeah, oh yeah, you like that fucking pointy Ooh. that pointy chin in your in your, in your that man's strong chin. <laughs> <laughs> well. I saw this interview with her, seeing her, I was like, no, she's actually gorgeous in in a slightly masculine way, but not in that bad way. And she said that her, her nickname on set was Hell Yeah. That's what they all called her. Isn't that cool? Anyway, I thought it was cute. But, sorry, that aside. <laughs> Are you saying there's a chance, Wayne? <laughs> no, no, no. This isn't Hell Yeah. But anyway, um, yes. Her chemistry with Tom, excellent. And I'll tell you what they were doing the whole time, which I watched on, which I noticed on second viewing, mm-hmm. right? Even when, after they meet, it's like tiny moments of flirtiness, right? And okay, isn't yep. that cool? And then even when they're in the, they're trying to like you know they they handcuff together yep. and they're in the car and stuff like that. Flip around the wrong way. Flip yeah. around the wrong way. So cool. That is all very good. But even moments where he's looking at his phone trying to get the thing, you'll see her just swan into frame right behind him. But she's a little too close, and she's a little. Too, you can tell she sort of digs him, but they're in trouble, you know. And it's like those moments are good directing. Those moments are good acting. So here's my big query to you. Yeah. Am I wrong in saying that in by the end of Rogue Nation and through Fallout, Ethan and Ilsa 
are together. They're together in this show, Paul. They're together <laughs> in this show. I'm telling you. Are they? I know. I this know. This film did her so bad. Here's what happened, right? So they pretend kill her off in the first scene. Who believed that? Fucking no one. Wasted time. Uh, I was like, I hope that's not how they're going to do it. Because how shit is that? Because her name be was shit. Fifth Billing. And I noticed that. Oh, okay, yeah. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. And I did say to you at some point on recording somewhere in the past that I think they're going to do, they're going to kill off your, your girl. Yeah, yeah. Which is exactly you what happened. To be right, yes. Yep. And once I saw her name fifth in the credits, I'm like, well, if Hayley Atwell's second and she's fifth, there's only one option here. Well, this is how it is, Paul. So Which is shit, but that's the way it is. Oh, it is shit. I've heard Christopher McQuarrie say... Was she not available? Was she shooting silo? What was going on? She's clearly, like... I don't... Why was she so sidelined? I know. And also... And when um... they are together, they never kiss. They just... She puts... She buries her head in his shoulder at one yes. point. And I'm like... What? So who is? Well, I'm confused. They hold, they hold hands, Paul. Is what happens so on the, on the gondola. Tom Cruise is, is fucking asexual, and he's got sexual chemistry with Hayley Atwell's character, and he's with Ilsa, but they're not Faust. But I, they don't actually bang anymore. What's well, going on? Well, he's not actually porked anyone in any of these films. But like, he's kissed them. He's shown affection. You know what? He was married to Michelle Monaghan. That, but he married her ass. Right? That's different. She wasn't a spy. Yeah, and some ex-girlfriend he got shot dead by some dude we've never met before. Well, you know what? In all of the films, including the first one, the only kiss he ever got was when he was kissing Kristen Scott, what's her name, and as a fake. Like, he's faking out. He was trying to get... Yeah. He was just kissing her on the cheek because like, he was covering. Is that right? He's never yeah. kissed her and nope. never kissed Ilsa either. I don't think he kissed Ilsa. Oh. And he didn't kiss... Um, well, that does surprise me. I must admit. Yeah. So the whole thing about... He's so not why asexual. is he so chaste? Well, he apparently he's not chaste. They just haven't showed us like him slapping her face with his dick. Like, he just wasn't... Well, I don't know if I did see that, but I would like to see a bit of affection. <laughs> There a was bit affection. Of, a bit, no, but some genuine... Like, how about locking of lips? How about a hand on... on uh, wrapped around her? No, no, he does, they, that. he does that. So here's the thing, right? In, when they're saying it's the first time in Venice, there's this moment... After yes, that's what I'm saying. She deraries it. She but does they that. don't kiss. Why but not? That, I think that means Explain more. Explain this to me. I think it means more. No. Because when you kiss, it's right before you fuck. But there's no time to fuck, so they just got to hang. They had plenty of time to fuck. They weren't doing it until later. Well, here's the, <laughs> the, 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 the moment that made me think they're together, right? And this is the thing. As a, as a spy, you're not ever really together, all right? You just know you love her. Because he had to find her in the Sahara, okay? They're not together because they don't, they don't well, hang together. Right. But right? I, I'm, yeah, I, I'm so a little bit So the confused. idea is that he cares for her in, in a romantic way. Now, when they're on the gondola going towards the big party, there's a moment where she's sitting right there and she looks in his eyes and he looks, he's, he's looking away from the camera and he just holds her hand. And it's that. That, Christopher yes. McQuarrie actually was saying, he said that scene has zero dialogue, but it tells you all you need to know. Which is, well, apparently not for you, though. Because well, you need to see some poontang. Well, no. But like, <laughs> just see some, what's wrong with showing him kissing? Them, Kiss- if they're really together, if they're really not, it also means that this sort of whips that chemistry he's got going on with Hayley Atwell's character is a little bit, what are you doing No, there, no, Tom? that's what I like. Here's it is. So I actually prefer that they don't kiss. I'll tell you why. So right? he can bang whoever he wants to bang? No. You cheating whore. Now that you mention it, possibly, but no, no. <laughs> Each time you're given, because let's face it, the movie's not a romance. It's just a romantic element because the character needs some, like, uh, an interest, right? So for them to simply just be holding hands, it, it actually, it's, it's more about intimacy than sex or anything like that. So you're just knowing that. And the thing is, if they I kissed, it's weird. But if they kissed or did any yes. stuff, right? No, again, it would take we're you out of the moment. You'd be like, are they fucking? And then you, you, no, we're about to go into a big party now. He's about to lose her. We needed to stick. We em- didn't know that. I did. <laughs> I knew it was. I fucking knew it was coming. There's no way they introduced Hayley Atwell's character to fucking not kill her off. It's a weird thing. I do wonder why. Either she's had Jack of the franchise. Yeah, I'm or... fascinated. I would love to know the behind the scenes of the decision to write her out. Why not? Because we don't need to write her out. Hayley Atwell's character could, all, other than the pickpocketedness of it, mm. which I'm sure they could have written around pretty easily, it could have been Ilsa in her role the whole way. Yeah, I think I. It seems to me like like 
like Beck Beckberg is is like, uh, look, I got this silo thing. I got something else to do. I've been in this thing for like fucking four, three, four movies, whatever. You can you can just take someone. I, I'm sure. I'm happy to hand the mantle over. Well, I'm either either that or Chris McQuarrie has gone to have said, listen, uh, I don't like you anymore. <laughs> but you mean like I just don't think that's happening. So. Bitch, please. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so, and I don't see that happening because she's such a fan favorite. Well, maybe it's just me, but I she's love She's such a her. Wayne favorite. She's a Wayne favorite, but I'm sure everyone loved her too. She hung around for three movies. So, uh, yeah, that is so an that interesting. Was, to me, quite surprising. But I'll tell you, I think they just said, I think we need some new blood here. Otherwise, it's just the same four characters fucking doing shit. I think that's what they're doing. I honestly think that's what they're doing. Well, maybe they're saying we've got to raise the stakes, but then, but why not have her be a heavy part of the first film well, and then suddenly killed off? Because the way she came into it sort of does that, you could tell. Well, Here's what it is. I think that because the whole point, the reason she died was saving Haley Atwell's life. Uh huh. So now it's like it's a, literally a passing of the mantle. Like she could have yes. chosen not to die yeah, and just let her kill. You're right? not close enough, Ethan. So now, but it's, Ilsa is. No, but so now it's a it's 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 a um it's a noble death. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, sure. As opposed to whatever. I will tell you this: that whole sword knife fight on the bridge. Eh. Look, it was fine, and she looked good doing it and stuff like that. But for this guy to, I guess that gives the the villain like actual, he's dangerous because he's like, he can take on a woman who's clearly trained with a knife, sorry, with a sword, and he's got one knife and he took her out. You know what I mean? So it's like, mm, okay. And he's taking on Ethan on the train and stuff like that. This guy can fight. So he's formidable sure. at least. Sure, sure, sure. That, that's fine. I, as I, I said, I, my problem with him is he was one note and never emoted until the very end where he expressed he was angry that Ethan got the key. Yeah. I feel like short shrift for sure for, mm. uh, for Ilsa. But I do want to talk about what I really loved about please, the film please. because let's not, I don't want to be too negative because my score doesn't reflect that mm-hmm. and we're starting to run a little long here. <laughs> I think that car chasing, which we have touched on, was excellent. Really, really cool. Really phenomenal. And if you want to show a franchise on how to do a good car chase, Fast and Furious franchise, please pay the fuck attention. Oh, God. Dear God, if you compare that fucking wrecking ball, bowling ball, oh, bomb fuck. thing versus this, don't even, yeah. it is Forget night and fucking day. This is, Christopher Quarry is the best action director working today. Come on now. Uh, I disagree on that for Who, multiple reasons. Are you a John Wick guy? I, I guess my Chad Selesky. Look, and I think also Gareth Evans. The comparable. The yeah, 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 yeah. True, true. But the comparable. He's absolutely, given he can tell a complete story and more so than those other guys who are just oh, telling, yeah. action, telling action. Then we get to the end sequence of the film on the Orient Express. Mm. And I immediately turned to my wife, I saw the film with and said, okay, so this is where the big stunt sequence is. He's going to have to jump onto the train, yep. which is what happened. Yep. That was cool. But I think what surprised me was the sequence where it's dangling and each car's falling. And this was, for me, a great example of, we talk about this, you and I, mm. but the Simpsons sideshow Bob step you on rake effect. The first <laughs> no, one, it wasn't that. The first one, funny. The first carriage dropping off, oh, that's cool. The second one, I'm like, this is going on a bit long. And then it went all the way around from being a little bit tedious to being amazing. Yeah. I like the fourth ca- carriage that they're yeah. walking their way through. Because she's like, piano's dropping, jump yep. across to me, all this sort of shit. Very harrowing. Awesome shit. And Christopher McQuarrie said that if they had known what they had to go up against for that scene, they wouldn't have done it. Because apparently, you know the bridge that blew up? Yep. That's a real bridge blowing up. Wow. Right? And he went to... Initially, they had locked so down. They have to do rebuild the bridge again after they've blown it up. No, or did they make it first of all themselves? No, it's gone. Right, this is they what? went. Yeah. So what happened to that train line? <laughs> That's it. It's an old. See, the first thing they did was they actually, they went around the world looking for a place Scouting to do it. places. Yeah, and they finally found a place in Poland, right, which had an Makes old sense. decommissioned bridge. That no one gives from, a fuck about Poland. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Paul's, Paul's I am Polish. Polish hey, I get to make a Polish joke. <laughs> <laughs> um. And they found a decommissioned bridge from World War Two or One, right, in Poland. And they said, "Hey, no one uses. This. Can we blow it up?" Christopher McQuarrie had to fucking completely keep that under wraps and say, "Okay, we're going to blow it up." And the Polish, whatever the government said, "Yep, you can blow it up. Here's how much you're paying us for that. Yep. Fine." 
word got out, people started freaking out in Poland saying, you're destroying our heritage. That's from the war. <laughs> they had to fucking leave and they had to go to motherfucking... And Christopher Curry's like, eat my ass! <laughs> eat Seriously. all the asses! Poles. And so that's why they had to go to wherever it was. The I Austria. think I understand your Asian humor. Yeah. <laughs> it's cool, isn't it? <laughs> Well, that's the thing. Then they had to move to Austria and say, look, we're not doing a CGI bridge, right? We're going to blow an actual one up. And that's why it looks the way it is. Then they had to create the train because they wanted to wreck the train and all of those things. Because it didn't actually ruin the Orient Express. Yeah, they didn't actually do that amazingly. Oh, like, I know, I, I would have just like, fuck it, right? No, but so add that to the fact that this thing was shot during COVID. Everyone mm. had fun. This, 291 million. Chucking a shit on people with the recording of him. Yeah, you know? Fair enough. Fair enough. Right? I'm like, good. This thing to come together the way it did is already amazing, okay? But I'm saying to you that, like, the, these sequences, like, where it's funny you said the, the, the carriage, this, that, I was, I was thrilled the whole time. Yeah. I actually think that him jumping off the, like, the bike, you know, the big stunt that's, that's been hugely trailered, and then for him to make the entrance of smashing through the window when the guy's about to kill fucking yeah. Hilliard, well, that was hilarious! Because it would have been like, oh, I bet they're going to have to film this very careful, not nah, just blam! I'm like, that's cool. Did you know that guy is the White Widow's brother? I didn't. Yeah, I did. I, I didn't pick that up. I knew it from Rogue. Did you know the White Widow is Vanessa Redgrave's daughter from yep. the first film? Didn't know that either. Yeah, that okay. was in um, Fallout. Last when she one. was saying, as my mother Max would have said, she did that little I didn't speech. even click. Yeah. It's, I know. It's, it's sort so of there's like, me being stupid. Uh, what do you think of the airport sequence, which is the big set piece in the first act of the film? Uh, great. I actually, you didn't like it? Boring. 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 Other than Benji deciphering the bomb, I did enjoy that, that sequence. Ah, uh, okay. Well, that's the thing, though. It was so many things going in the way. And then, like, Tom Cruise's glasses is telling him about the dude, and then the dude disappears because the AI protected him. And then there's, like, who's the who's the lead of the of the attack team that's trying to Shia, chase him down? Shia Wingham. Uh, he's, he's in so many movies. He's, he's an Academy Award winner, I think. Mm, no, I don't think so. No? Okay. Uh, but I actually, I was saying to the person I was watching with, I was like, that actor there has done... A yeah, he's, movies. He's, he's a character actor who's in so many different bits yeah, and pieces. Yeah, and I actually liked him in here. I know he's just just that part, but it was really I liked his. Well, I kind of like the fact that he didn't turn out to be ultra bad or ultra good. He was just trying to do his job. Well, he in and the so, end, and his mate was the one who started questioning, like maybe Ethan's in the right. Yeah, here. and he's like, which who, who side are you on? And like, and then after a while, you see that he's going. Hmm. I was going to shoot him as he jumped off the thing, but I chose not to. Maybe he's got a point. Good luck shooting that as he's, he's with your little handgun. You wouldn't hit Dick from that far away, but anyway. I mean, yeah, he probably wouldn't have, but, but he, he didn't did fire listen, at all. He listened to Ethan when he said, you need to get everyone to the back of the train. Yeah, you know, So exactly. he did listen. And then he said to Kittredge, he's like, no, you, you're not here, sir. You're not here, sir, so I can't be taking your orders. Shouldn't concern you, yeah. That's good stuff. Uh, but yeah, all of that stuff is wicked. So that's why I think, look, I agree with you. This isn't the, oh my God, but it's... Great. Pom Clementif, a mantis. Hated her. Really? You hated her hated character? Hated her. Is she mantis? Yeah. yeah. She looked like shit. Um, oh, come on. She's an attractive woman. What? Oh, my God. Oh, you got yellow fever. Um, so. Yeah, <laughs> oh, I was. I Actually, she's my least favorite thing about the movie. Really? Yeah, because she was just annoying. And she like, was like a, at least she had some rage and anger and she showed something, whereas her boss is like, eh. And then he suddenly says, you're going to betray her. That was bullshit. That I'll tell you is that all of a sudden it's like if what? the next film it turns out that he's been built from the eight, from the, he is the entity in human form built with nanobots I'd believe that more with this portrayal. That's a good point. I didn't even think about that. He's like just this. He's got no emotion whatsoever. Virtually, yeah. as I said, and he just said, "Yeah, you're going to betray us." <laughs> you know, the only way that this works is like, yeah, if in the second movie you suddenly get all of his like, because in the end you're you're building these movies so you can watch them one after the other. And I will tell you this: at the end of this film, even though I was there for ten hours, right? <laughs> I'm like, I'd watch the next one if you had it right now. Right now. I'd watch yeah, it. Sure. Yeah, sure. I'd be keen to, too. So that means it works. Not the same way as 
across the Spider Verse, but no, you know, if I was if I was lining up options, I'd be like, oh, fuck off. Yeah, I yeah. would. So I mean, you know, it's pretty cool. So I really like the idea where Luther works out that I think it wants you to kill him yes. on the train, or you, to or die. you die. So yeah. it's, it but it subsists. The two of you, it doesn't want the two of you to live. It's scared of you, Ethan. That was a really cool moment, I it think, was. in the film. And I then agree. you think he gets captured by, but all he was doing was lifting because this film is basically pickpocket the movie. <laughs> Everyone is suddenly cool. a ginormously, incredibly, perfectly pickpocket and can pickpocket anyone at any time without them noticing anything. And he manages to get the key away. The very fucking thing this guy has been chasing the whole time, he just puts it in his pocket. And like, <laughs> he bothers to check about 10 minutes after he, he fucking lands. By the way, that bit, was made, on a train, though, that bit made me laugh out loud. Burst out laughing, the only person in the cinema when he fast. It was this is a fast and furious moment of the franchise where he jumps off the train exactly and just lands. Whoop, no sleep no, no, in the truck. He had the watch. I don't give a shit. And, and the, AI the train is moving that fast. He would have smashed every vertebrae <laughs> in his back. I'm like, okay, so that's like landing on the back of on the on the bonnet of a car, and you're absolutely fine. Yeah, I will. <laughs> okay, it was fair a enough. weirdly stupid moment in. Okay, the films the films aren't grounded, but they're way more serious than the Fast franchise. Well, I will tell you this: this this film did one thing that it, the other ones mostly didn't. It actually fooled me with the mask. So. There's what, the scene at the start. At the start, right. when when the dude who looks nothing like Tom Cruise, who clearly isn't Tom Cruise, because they made that mistake in the first one, walks in with the gray hair, and then you think he's a bad guy because he's he hands a, a knife to uh, a, a, a gas, uh, master gas master yeah. and throws the cool green <laughs> thing, which is so cool looking, by the way. And then it turns out to be Ethan Hunt. That was a surprise to me. Yeah, that's fine. So then, like, that's a good move. And meanwhile, we have the Carrie Elwes is bad, and he's silly. Yes, Wesley is but bad, but no one gives a shit because he had never been in the film. Like that was the only two scenes. I'm like that would have carried a lot more weight. How we built him up a little bit more. It would be carried more weight if it was Kittredge. Yes. Do you know I mean? I'm surprised it wasn't. Yeah, so. because Kittredge clearly has to go into the second movie and they kill this guy. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing though. So that scene where the bad guy and Carrie Elwes, the two bad guys are in the train and they're talking to each other and it's like, here's what happened with the AI. We put it in the submarine and for some reason the AI went rogue and it killed the submarine instead of just, you know, being allowing us to detect it. And he goes, and I'm the only one who knows where it is. And you're the only, the only one who knows? One? And then he kills him, right? Yeah. I'm like, oh, shit, look and then at he that. Says, and you're going to betray us. And then that's when he attacks Pom Clementine. Yeah, character. that was a weird thing. But okay, that happened, right? And also, but I like the fact that she was the one that pulled them out. I, yeah, even with a knife in her chest. Yeah. Very strong. Much stronger than me. And totally, then, me. And then she says just enough to tell him where, where yes. the submarine is. The submarine, and exactly. now we're ready for the second one to so start. So now he knows that it's on a submarine and someone must know where the cunt is. Because they do say later on that they actually rescued all of the crew of the submarine, and that's how they got the rescued. Th- yeah, no, they it- died. We saw them all floating. No, up. they died, but sorry, they were recovered. Recovered, okay. which is how they got the fucking key, oh, yeah. the cruciform key, the off the necks, right? Yeah. But I was like, guys, didn't you just go under where they were, and that's where the submarine would be? <laughs> Don't be logical, right? <laughs> <laughs> no room in this universe for logic. In fact, there's no room in this universe for any more on this review, Wayne. What are you scoring? Mission: colon, Impossible hyphen Dead Reckoning Part One. Let's go with eighty-four. Whoa. Damn, it, didn't do anything. it didn't do that many things wrong, Paul. <laughs> and I had a good time. And it felt like a sort of two-hour well, you saw it twice. You saw it twice. Can't fault that. Um, I'm giving it a 72. 72. 72. Fair enough. That's good for you. Good solid film. Three and a half stars. Really enjoy this franchise. It's only had one bad entry. Full-on bad entry so far. That's pretty yeah. good out of seven films. That's no, great. Very keen for the eighth one next year. And I'll tell you what, it might be the only one of the only big blockbusters we get next year now that the actors have joined the writers in terms of a strike. The first time in 60... Was it 60 or 70 years? 68 years? Bro, this is going to go hard. I'll tell you why. Yeah. When writers strike, no one cares. But when beautiful actors go on a picket line, they both go on the strike. fucking news turns so, up. our podcast will be reverting to a classic review podcast <laughs> sometime in the next 6 to 12 months. Quick question. 
Do you think it's amusing that this movie is about AI? Yes. I should have said that. I like that part. It's topical. It's, to- it's very like, relevant. But he was on it fucking three, four years ago, son. He didn't. That's true. They wrote this four years ago. Exactly. And now it's pertinent. This yeah. motherfucker's a genius. Good timing. Good timing. Just saying. There we are. That's our review of Mission Impossible 7. Get along and see it. Let us know what you thought. You can do so via email, thecountdownpodcast at gmail.com. Don't bother about Twitter. It's dead. Uh, check out our website, thecountdownpodcast.com, for all your needs for Patreon and everything else, merchandise and all the rest of the stuff. Thank you so much for joining us today for this incredibly long review. My name is Paul. My name is Wayne. And this has been The Soundboard. You're mocking me, aren't you? 180 minutes for Dead Reckoning Part 2. That's my expe- my prediction. I reckon it's on. All right. We'll catch you next time. See, See ya. ya.